Welcome to The Quill and the Quantum, the podcast where we explore the intersection of artificial intelligence and the art of writing. I'm your host, Kathy Norris, and in each episode, we'll talk to those authors and other creatives who use or refuse to use AI in their writing process. Today's guest is Pushcart-nominated writer, Harvard-trained cultural psychologist, and college professor, Christine Ma Kellams. Christine has a new book called The Band coming out in April of next year through Atria, I think is the publishing company, right? Yeah. So Christine, welcome to the program. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, Christine, I was on, on your website and um, was looking at your bio, and I want to uh, read a, a, a paragraph that you have there. You, you write, I consider my stories my greatest work. Across my two completed novels and short story collection, I break and expand the literary categories we think we know, including newer labels like immigrant voices or writers of color and age old ones like love story. As a first generation Chinese American with a bad habit of moving every handful of years, I've been called a woman without a country. But that just means I'm most at home when navigating the borders between worlds. Christine, that's just lovely. And it made me wonder, so how did you start writing and and why do you consider stories your greatest work? Well, I started writing sort of like serendipitously um, after grad school. I don't know if like other people who are in academia can relate to this, but like once I went into like grad school, I pretty much just stopped reading for fun. Like I was just obsessed with like you know, double-blind controlled studies and um, like journal articles. And so I just pretty much stopped reading for like years and years and years until um, one day I was like at the library for story time with my toddler at that point. Um, And since I was trying to get him to read, I was like, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I should probably pick up reading myself for fun. And I just picked up like like a book on display at the library. It was a collection of short stories and I just started reading. And I remembered for the first time after like almost a decade of like not reading for fun, just how like glorious just reading a story and picking something up and discovering this whole new world or this entirely different voice was. Um, And it was just through that process where I remembered that I think it's easy to forget facts and data, like studies show. It's really much easier to remember like a story that resonates or like a character that you can really relate to. And so that's how I started. And um, I haven't really looked back since. And, and are there any writers that you find yourself particularly drawn to these days or any that, or any old favorites? Uh, I mean, there's so many. Uh, I'm trying to think like probably one of my more recent favorite ones include uh, like Raven Leilani and her uh, novel Luster. I feel like that was one of the more recent, I mean, it came out like I think two or three years ago, um, but it's one of my like more recent favorite ones where the way she captures like the experience of being like a young woman trying to navigate relationships and having like professional setbacks. I think I just found it incredibly um, relatable. And uh, I think she's probably like the one closest, the one like recent debut author that I identified the most in terms of voice at least. Um, But there's, I mean, there's so many, like um, I think anything Britt Bennett does, I love. I'm trying to think. I also like short story writers too. So like Jim Shepard, for example, 
is an like a really established author who I feel like has this really unique knack of taking us into worlds that you would never expect. Like his way of being able to take you to like the French Revolution into like a character who, you know, kills people for living for the revolution, right? At the guillotine versus like taking you back to ancient Greece and taking you to modern times, like getting short story writers like Shepard do a really fascinating job that I don't even know if I could ever pull off. <laughs> like the way he transports people into these very unknown worlds and writing things that I know he doesn't know from firsthand experience because it's like historically impossible for him to know them. But yet it, it feels like you're there. Like it feels like he's lived through it. So it's probably another a favorite example that stands out. Well, it, it, the way your face sort of lit up when you were talking about these books, I'm sure there's several people watching who are going to be reaching for those books just to, you know, get a sense of that experience. I think um, one of the reasons that I really wanted to have you on the show is that it seems like you've been in the AI space for a while as a college mm -hmm. professor, helping students navigate AI. And I was wondering, um, tell us about your classes and 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 your work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I mean, I think it's interesting that creatives like you are talking about AI and talking about how we should use it or not use it, because you know, for the past year or two, um, pretty much since ChatGPT became a household name, uh, academics that I know have been like in a fury over AI and how to do it. So I think in in my world, at least, like on college campuses, people I know are incredibly divided. I think a lot of people are terrified and horrified that pretty much we have to revamp all our assignments now, right? Because like, if you think about it, any test I used to give, right, or any paper I used to assign, technically, there's nothing really stopping a student from just getting AI to take that test for them or to write that paper for them. And mm -hmm. there's, and, and unlike historical plagues that have like troubled college campuses, like plagiarism where the now there are very good like plagiarism detectors that can huh. tell you recycled stuff as far as we know and I know people have looked into us there's not like a really great AI detector that can tell if a student used AI to help them write a paper or help them take a test they exist but I'm pretty sure they're sort of hit or miss in terms of like actually catching like real AI usage um, and so the question that becomes like how do we create assignments that are AI proof that was like a question that we debated for a long time. Like, is it even possible to create something where it is impossible to ask AI for help? And I think that's actually sort of close to something that I think creatives have to think about. Like, are there things as creatives that are AI proof that like no AI can outdo us on? And I think that's an, that's an open question. But then more recently, the debate has been, well, if we know AI is the future and students are gonna use it, can we use it in our classes to actually help students do what they do better, right? Like assuming they're gonna rely on it anyway, can we, for example, ask them to use ChatGPT to come up with an initial draft of a paper and then see if they can improve it, right? Because presumably what ChatGPT comes up with is not going to be easy. It may not be entirely accurate. You'll probably need to double check the sources um, or replace them with legit sources <laughs> if they're made up, right? Um, and so the question has now, I think a lot of uh, academics and, and college professors like myself have been asking, well, like, well, if you can't like defeat it and, and you, you may not even want to defeat it because it might very well be you know, a, a useful tool. Um, how can you harness its power in ways that will help you uh, rather than just you know, send you into like an existential crisis? <laughs> and mm -hmm. I think that's something like as an author, I, I think about a lot too. 
Well, I, I love that answer or, 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 or the issue. It's, it, it, it is, it, are we going to prohibit the use or are we going to say, let's build it into the, into the skill set of our students so mm -hmm. that they recognize the pros and cons? Because mm -hmm. I think I myself as a writer in my limited use of chat GPT have mm -hmm. come to recognize, for example, the database is at least two years old. So mm -hmm. when it comes to uh, working on the most current issues or querying on the uh, prompting on the most recent issues, you're out of luck. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And that's the kind of thing you learn by doing. Mm -hmm. um, and, 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 and I think you also learn that it's not as scary as, as you might originally have thought. It's, it's a tool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think one of the things that's encouraging about the use of AI is seeing the places where it fails. Like, as you pointed out, like it's, it's lack of recency is definitely, mm -hmm. I think, a sore point or like a limitation, right? But also just seeing what it produces and just honestly comparing the quality with what you can produce as a person, right? And being really honest with yourself and saying like, okay, can I do better than this? Right? <laughs> and hopefully the answer is yes, you can do better than this, right? And so that way, I, I don't think it's quite as threatening if you know what you're competing against, really. Like mm -hmm. if you're not competing against human, you're really competing against this weird hybrid of things um, that may or may not be sort of anywhere close to what you're trying to do, right? And, and be, be able to deliver what you're trying to deliver. So yeah, absolutely. I think the threat is less extreme once you look at it like head on in its face. Are, are your courses, uh, is, is your interaction with students and AI sort of, sort of incidental to your coursework or do you actually have courses with titles in them like working with AI? Oh, that's a great question. So it's not, it's not the title of the course. I haven't like yet taught an entire course on AI, but in a lot of my courses, especially the ones involving like research methodology, um, or like my grad seminars, we have like uh, weeks dedicated to talking about AI. And we were doing this long before ChatGPT even became a household name, like years and years ago, like five, 10 years ago, we were having like ethical debates as part of like research um, design courses on like the future of AI and whether we should have safeguards in place and how far we want to push AI and whether AI is an actual, you know, could one day theoretically, not now necessarily, but one day, be a threat to humans, right? Because if you think about it on a, like a, in a sci-fi universe, right? If we're gonna go there, like you could ask theoretically if, if sentience is possible, right? Like if, if you get to the point where AI is, you know, sentient, then the question that becomes like, if they're beyond human control, like is, is, that, is that a point at which we should be concerned, right? So we've been having these like ethical debates, I think not just in psychology, but I think in philosophy and in the broader social sciences and humanities, for a long time now, that um, I think it's, I think the the conversation is going to get more interesting now that we actually know what it looks like, right? Like now that we have an actual AI tool that everyone can use, you know, whenever they want, um, I think that might change the debate a little bit about like what exactly, what exactly we're concerned about now. It may not be like robots killing us all. It might be <laughs> more practical and like immediate, like what's it gonna do to our jobs? Like what's it gonna do to our livelihoods and what we wanna do? Oh, you've raised so many good issues. I was going to ask you about the ethical considerations of using AI, and you've just ran through an entire list. Um, mm -hmm. Have you come to any conclusions when it comes to the use of, of, of generative AI? And I'm especially interested when it comes to attribution. I mean, how, how you should be citing the use of AI, if at all. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know if there's a good 
like model for this or answer for this like at least i haven't seen it maybe people have come up with good sort of guidelines and i just you know, have not seen it yet um but yeah i think that's absolutely one of like that's one of those dicey issues that i feel like as a creative person it's hard to even talk about because we probably don't have direct control over it like i feel like the concern mm. on the creative side is not so much how i'm going to use ai because i know like my boundaries but how other people might use AI that involves like my own work, but I have no idea, right? Like, I think that seems like a lot yes. of creatives in a lot of fields, like not just writing, right? But in like, you know, in, in, in movies and in media and in music, they've been concerned, like outside of your control, how do you stop potentially like companies from using AI based on your work and you have no say in the matter whatsoever. And I think that might be something that's more the purview of like policymakers and the powers that be who actually have more control over like what they do for attribution. Um, and I, I think that's the other thing with AI, right? Like the whole point of artificial intelligence is, is the boundlessness of its inputs, right? Mm -hmm. Like I, we, have we have limited sets of life experiences upon which to draw and, you know, and limited capacity for research. <laughs> AI's boundaries are like limitless. So I feel like attribution becomes all the tougher because there is technically an infinite number of sources that they could attribute any piece of work to, right? Um, and then at that point, is the attribution even meaningful? Because even if they attribute to you and they give you credit, right, you are one name among like hundreds, thousands, maybe millions of names that might have gone into training this you know, platform into coming up with this line or this verbiage, right? And so I, the question of like, can you make people attribute or make companies or whoever, but then is that attribution meaningful if you're just one of so many? I think that's a whole separate you know, question. Fascinating. I mean, this, you know, is attribution meaningful? And, and you've, you've made me realize and remember these with these large language models, all the, mm -hmm. just the vast amounts of data that are being sort of consumed you're right. Does does attribution become meaningful in such a situation? Mm -hmm. uh, we, we've definitely got our 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 work uh, cut out, cut out for us. I think that uh, you you also raised two other really interesting issues. You know, th this idea of consent for the use of your of your creative um, output, um, as came up in the SAG after strike when they were when they wanted both consent and and compensation for the use of images and other other works so uh yeah right right on time yeah absolutely um and i think the sag after strikes is a really interesting case of how you know there's like financial implications to this as well right like sometimes mm. i think about it purely from the perspective of like it just feels like a violation if people are like using <laughs> you know ai and, and like either passing it off as not ai or not giving credit uh, to the ai but also i mean there's just a genuine like financial aspect of you know, if corporations are using AI instead of like actual writers or creatives to produce their work, you know, is this a financial threat for people who rely on this for a living, right? And I think that's sort of a very real consideration that I don't necessarily you know, have a good answer to, too. But yeah, absolutely. Do you find that you use AI in your personal and your professional life or one or the other or both? And if so, how? Um, I don't really use it in my, my life just because... <laughs> I'm a little biased because mm -hmm. I don't think this is sort of wishful thinking on my part. So I don't think this is a, <laughs> a rational decision, but I think, you know, going back to what I said earlier about like AI is as good as your inputs, right? Like 
I personally do think it would be helpful to have limits or guardrails on like the future of AI in terms of like where we're going with it. So I personally don't want to contribute to the inputs of AI too much by like giving it more content to feed. And so that's why I don't use it a lot because I'm like, wherever it's going, like, and, and there's given the billions of people on earth who might be using it at this point, like, like I am just a drop in the bucket. So I'm, I'm sure my own decision to either abstain or to use it is not going to necessarily influence the future of AI. But, you know, I personally don't use it that much, mostly because of what I do. I'm tempted sometimes like in an academic setting to use it, like mm -hmm. to help me, you know, come up with a rubric. I haven't used it to grade papers yet, but I am tempted. Every time like it's final season, I'm like, oh my God, I'm so much grading. <laughs> I hadn't even thought about that. I mean, so you would actually upload the the, the student's paper into yeah. the and at, and provide it with some sort of um, criteria. Yeah, and like ask for them to like come up with feedback. Because sometimes, you know, especially when, you know, I'm reading papers and I'm giving the same comments over and over again, like, please remember to do A, B, and C in this paper. I was just like, you know, there must be a way to automate this where like I could just like feed the paper in and, and it'll just automatically say like you forgot to do A, B, and C instead of me like typing it out to every person. <laughs> like you didn't do this. Um, so I've t I haven't done it yet because I feel, I don't know, I feel a little guilty. I feel like the part of my job is to, you know, give personal feedback. So I, I, I haven't done it yet, but I'm tempted. Um, and, you know, in terms of writing, like I think it depends on the kind of writing that people do. So... You know, I'm like in the literary like genre of you know trying to come up with really unique sentences and so for me like I don't necessarily think AI can me too much in that but I do have friends um, and fellow authors who are writing in you know one of the discussions that my date the 2024 debut that I know have been discussing is like you know what like authors who work in like intellectual property spaces Right, or like ghostwriters who work for, you know, like established characters or established like franchises and they like mm -hmm. write to them, right? It's, it's like a question that's come up like, well, you know, it's, it's a really profitable field to write for like an established franchise, right? Okay. Uh, it's not, it may not be super creative, you may not have creative control, but it could be super profitable uh, in terms of like just how popular these franchises are. And so I think one question comes up that I think could come up with AI is like, if I were, and I, I don't, but I know other authors do. If like, if I were an author that would want to work in that space, I think one question is like, couldn't just AI take over all like intellectual property kind of writing? Like those, like, you know, Thomas the Train, right? There's a whole yeah. series of books, right? That uh, Audrey did not write himself, right? That I don't know who wrote, but a lot of different authors. I would think like AI could essentially take over everyone who does that, right? So I do wonder that like for authors who write in more sort of controlled settings for like mm -hmm. established corporations that have like an entire character group or entire storyline that they're working on. I do wonder if AI can either help them with their writing so they write more productively and faster, or if AI could, you know, one day replace them entirely because the, at that level, you're not necessarily trying to come up with the most original sentence that has ever been written. Right. right, right. We're just trying to like tell another version of the story with familiar characters. And I think at that point, ChatGPT could probably do a fine job of like rewriting that story or coming with a new version of that story. Right. That's a very fascinating idea that, that AI could be used in um, 
to great effect um, in series where where people know what they're what, know what they're looking for. They want more of the same. Yeah. Um, uh, sure. Why not? Uh, why not? Unless, of course, the author, the original author, um, is opposed to it. I'm thinking about those instances where where the series creator passes on, and mm -hmm. the work, yeah. the audience is still there wanting more of of that work um, and the attempts to to provide it. Mm -hmm. Wow, um, these fascinating ideas. I when you were talking about the content, um, one of the things that I wondered as I was reading about AI and the, and the, and the large language models, as I, was, I was wondering when it comes to people of color um, or uh, is, is the reason some of the results sometimes are so skewed because of the limited input mm -hmm. from, from certain groups. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's the takeaway I've gotten from everything from you know, image recognition software that's supposed to identify in individuals um, that yeah. does not identify darker skin tones as well as lighter skin tones, that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's actually a great point you bring up. We talk about it all the time in psychology too, right? Like even on a human level, right? Mm -hmm. For example, when people talk about things like the other race effect where people are just not as good at recognizing and distinguishing faces from mm -hmm. other faces other than their own, right? Unless you've had a, like a, they've shown like, unless you've had a lot of early childhood exposure to people from like outside races, like there's a there's a, like a critical period for learning, and then if you pass that period, you just as an adult, no matter how hard you try, you're just not going to be as good at it as a, like a person who is native to that group. Mm -hmm. right? So I think those kind of human models also apply to the AI models that you're talking about, right? Where without the sufficient input from like groups of color, they're not going to be creating like good output for those groups because they just don't have enough data to to use. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, absolutely, I think that's a huge limitation that I actually think is like potentially good if you are a writer of color because that just means agree. to like try to emulate your work because there's just not a lot of it to go off of on. Um, so absolutely I think that's that's definitely a limitation but I think that could potentially be beneficial if you're like if you don't necessarily want people to use you as a model and then come up with a, a generated version of yourself. Oh, I agree. I thought, ha ha ha, you know, they're not, you know, when it comes to, you know, women of color, you know, I bet they're really sort of, they're, they're, they're not going to be able to, using what they have so far, they're not going to do what I do. Mm -hmm. um, and that's certainly reassuring. But I was thinking that there might be a space when it comes to, to multicultural issues, when it comes to using perhaps AI to translate materials into different languages, that might be... Yeah. Um, a, a, something that AI can do more efficiently. I think there's uh, that 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 test of you know can AI do it better than the most efficient human? Um, that sort of test. Yeah, like the Turing test. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I think I mean that's actually you know you were asking like do I use AI? Uh, I just realized that, that like that's sort of one example where I have used AI because like in my in my book for example uh, I do have phrases that I had originally asked like Google Translate and Papago, which is like a Korean translator app, mm -hmm. a neighbor to help me translate before I, I brought it to a human. So I brought it to multiple humans like who are native speakers to help me fix the AI translations essentially. <laughs> um, there's no way this sounds realistic. Like there's no way. Um, and of yeah. course, this helped me out and they came they came up with, you know, better versions of it. But I think you're, you're absolutely right that like with 
like at least baseline translation, right? You're probably going to still need someone who's a native speaker, but at least for like baseline translation to get like the first draft. Absolutely. I think like with languages that could be really useful um, and really helpful to get, you know, content out faster, right? Oftentimes, like I'll see a book that like won some award in another country and then I try to find it in the U.S. and I realize like it's going to be years before yes. the American publisher can not only buy the rights to it, but then find like, a translator and then publish it out. If they could move that faster <laughs> so that we could have more access to international yeah. literature, I feel like that would be amazing like, just from a reader standpoint. Right. So, and if AI could help in that, I think that would be like a, an, a boon for writers and authors to get their work out faster to a broader audience. Well, speaking of getting one's work out faster to a broader audience, let's talk about the band. What is your, what is your um, book about? Yeah. So it's about essentially a, a K-pop star who at the height of his, you know, idoldom uh, releases like a song that ruffles a bunch of like ethnic feathers and brings up uh, a lot of like eight old ethnic conflicts between like Asia's three uh, like superpowers, historical superpowers like China, uh, Korea, and Japan. And so he essentially goes on the run and escapes to America where he meets a, a therapist, an American therapist in an H Mart. And he essentially hides out in her house to try to avoid the fallout. And meanwhile, you know, a lot of confrontations between their, the band and the public um, sort of forces his hand and ultimately like draws him out of, of isolation um, uh, because of a, sort of a violent interaction between the fandom and the band that you know sort of disrupts everything we think we know about where music is going. And that's actually one part where AI comes in because part of the revelation or part of the subplot is the fact that you know when a, when, a, when an idol gets canceled or when an idol disappears and, and they have to be replaced, the question that becomes like, could AI take over? And in the book, in the fictional version, the the whole like underlying, one of the underlying schemes is that the producer of the band is trying to transition the band into an entirely AI generated like artist. Um, to, to avoid precisely these problems, right? Because one of the things that, you know, uh, one of the themes I think that comes up in, in the book and and that, you know, as like a, a consumer of music that I think about all the time is that, you know, in this day and age where you have real people making the kind of choices that occasionally will get them canceled, right? Or, or, or get them um, pushback from fans. If you have a purely AI artist, like that's cancel proof, right? Like the AI artist <laughs> cannot make a personal life choice <laughs> that will upset people, right? Cause they're, they're not real. Cause they're not a person, yeah. Exactly. So I think, you know, like in a world where we are debating, like, you know, not just in, in creative fields, but in a lot of fields in politics and, you know, leadership and a bunch of things, we have fallible humans doing things and that, you know, ultimately upend their careers or upend their followings. You know, one question could be, you know, could AI potentially bypass that problem entirely by essentially creating a, a, an, an, an AI version of yourself, right? Like once you've established the bandom, can you just pass it on to your AI like doppelganger and like let them do for you, right? So that's something, that's sort of like a thought experiment I always thought, you know, would be interesting to, to engage in. Well, that's the fun part of being a writer is that you can follow these thought exper experiments to wherever they may lead you. And, you know, out of, out of paper and ink, or at least it used to be out of paper and ink, yeah. create, a whole new, create a whole new world. Yes, <laughs> now, exactly. Yeah. 
Um, do but, you use AI in your own work, by the way? Like, I feel like I, you're the only author I know who, you know, is, is talking about it so head on. So I do wonder, like, is this something you've been thinking about doing or trying to? You know, Christine, I think one of the reasons that I was prompted to do this was talking to a number of, of creatives who would never admit to using AI. Mm. They wanted to think that the creativity was their own. Mm. Wanted to, and, and I found that fascinating, you know, I was like, is it that good? That's what made me leap into it. And I think yeah. um, just like anyone else, you learn that it's good at some things and bad at others. I needed, I had a couple of characters in a short story that were DJs. Mm -hmm. I was having a problem coming up with DJ handles. Uh -huh. I turned to my younger niece, who I thought for sure would be full of ideas. Yeah. She came up blank. I asked ChatGPT. I had 50 names in three seconds. Wow. And some of them were actually good. And it, that was my moment of, aha, there yeah. is a role for something, you know, like this. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't, I, you know, so I've, I've learned just through trial and error what works and what doesn't work. And I thought I would love to, to have um, access to a podcast where I could listen to other creatives talking about how they use it, when they use it, when they would never use it, that kind of thing. So that was the genesis of the Quill and the Quantum, which, by the way, is an AI-generated name. Is it really? No yes, way. It is. Yes, wow. it is. I love so, your DJ example because I think you're absolutely right. Like being able to like pick and choose how you want to use a tool instead of being like terrified that the tool exists. I think it's a good approach, right? Of like deciding exactly like where it could be really helpful and where it could be helpful in a way that isn't threatening to you as a writer, right? And I don't think it's like embarrassing to admit that, yeah, with something like coming up with names, why not use AI, right? There's nothing essentially that would like stand in the way, I think theoretically of doing that. So I like that example. There's, there's more to come. I, I am, uh, I've been fascinated with, I've, I've interviewed you know, DJs and writers and actors and directors, um, and now a college professor and mm -hmm. is a, who is at heart a writer, um, that you've made that very clear. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so it's, it's been a fun journey. I'm, I'm, I am learning along with, with my audience. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I'm glad you bring up the conversation because one of the things that I, I think is sort of like a, a tension point that you put you you sort of highlighted with your um, origin story of the quill and the quantum is this idea like are writers willing to even admit to using my AI if they did use it? Because one of the things I think your your sort of example reminded me of is like online on social media like and just in everyday conversation I hear all the time in interviews with authors authors talking about all the research they did to like develop a character or to figure out a plot or to, you know, come up with a setting, things like that. And like everyone loves, I think authors love research. Like they think like research is part of the job description. And I'm like, research is like one hop and a skip away from asking AI to do that research for you, right? <laughs> so I feel like there's this artificial divide where we think like, oh, AI seems like cheating the system almost. But I'm like, when you Google, like that's not your own. Like you are using other people's information to help you come up with something related to your story. So yeah, I think I'm glad you're setting the precedent for, for you know, opening the conversation and saying like, let's let's talk about it honestly. And let's talk about, you know, what we do and we don't do to, to help our writing along, right? Well, Christine, um, th this has been a lot of fun. Uh, you have, I, I, I'm gonna go back over this entire um, podcast and, and write down all the great um, issues that you have raised that I hadn't thought of before. And I will be posing to future guests because they are compelling. 
And I do wish you the best of luck with the release of uh, the band in, in April and uh, keep us posted on how it goes. Okay, will do. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Take care now.